Hello, and welcome to the Accountability Coach Podcast, where we will discuss topics, ideas, questions, and issues related to having a totally balanced and successful life. This is Ann Backrack. Today we have a special guest. Some of you listeners today may know, but not all might. One of the important tools I use as an accountability coach is the Wheel of Life. The Wheel of Life I use, because not all are the same, has eight areas that we regularly focus on. One of those areas is health and fitness. Well, our special guest, Dennis Collier, is a registered dietitian and a certified exercise physiologist and has a master's degree in kinesiology. The company he founded specializes in helping individuals reach their most valuable goals by integrating nutrition with a physically active lifestyle. Dennis, as far as nutrition goes, there are tons of different topics we could discuss. Today, I would like to talk about a very fundamental concept, kind of really go back to the basics, you might say. I think a lot of people simply want to know, how much food can I eat? This is the issue I would like to, to discuss today with you, Dennis. Well, and that, that is a very big issue, as you say, uh, a fundamental issue. But you know, Anne, I think fundamentals are underrated. The glamorous issues usually get the glory. But I think that uh, if we just spend some time today talking about how much food can I eat, we could uh, be very helpful for a lot of people. Well, okay then, Dennis. What is the answer to that question for the people listening here today? How much food can we eat? <laughs> okay, I see we're going to jump right in here. That's okay. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning here, Ann. When you say how much, the unit that we use to measure that is the calorie. Undisputably, this is the most important thing you should be paying attention to. It's a term we've no doubt heard countless times before. But you, we might not really grasp what the term means, and a calorie is simply a unit used to measure energy. Specifically, one calorie is the amount of heat energy needed to raise the temperature of one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. That's the scientific definition. I want to emphasize, though, the importance of thinking of food as energy. I've always found that analogy of our bodies being like machines to be very helpful. For example, a machine like a car needs a certain amount of energy depending on what you ask it to do and, and how the car is made. Our bodies are the same way. Well, I am assuming, Dennis, that it might be difficult to give specific recommendations on how many calories an individual needs. But there are guidelines you can give us here today for the individual li individuals listening, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, there are, Anne, and, and let's try to do that. If I may, Anne, I would like to approach this topic in this way. First, I would like to tell you how a computer software program and even how most healthcare professionals would answer that question. Then I will tell you why that way alone is insufficient and how it could be made better. Okay, sounds great. Okay. In common use today, and are a variety of mathematical equations to determine how many calories an individual needs to eat. The good ones are based on scientific studies that have been conducted using fancy equipment in laboratories. The most commonly used one is known as the Harris-Benedict equation, and, and uh, to individualize this equation for yourself, you must plug in some of your personal data, such as your current weight, your height, 
your age, whether you're male or female. These are things that will affect how much calories you need. The number it produces represents your basal metabolic rate. Now, that term bears some explaining it. What that represents is the number of calories, so in other words, the amount of energy needed for your, needed for your body to perform its essential physiological functions, such as pumping your blood, uh, expanding your chest to breathe, etc. In, in other words, it's the amount of energy you would need to live if you lay on the couch all day. Now, very few people just lay on the couch all day. The second factor, in addition to our basal metabolic rate that determines how many calories or energy we need in a given day is physical activity. So what a computer program, or most professionals will do, is simply multiply the basal metabolic rate by a certain factor based on the person's level of physical activity. If the person's very inactive, they may multiply it by a factor of something like 1.1. So if we go back to our, our basic math, that means the total caloric requirement is only slightly more than the basal metabolic rate. If someone is very active, they could do enough exercise to expend double their metabolic rate, or, or maybe even beyond that if you look at someone like a Tour de France athlete. So in that case, you'd multiply by, by a much larger factor, say two or, or more. Once all this math is done, you theoretically now have how many calories you require per day. Well, Dennis, so what are the problems with calculating your caloric requirement using just this method? One of the biggest problems with this method, Anne, is that it fails to account for a person's body composition. It is well known that muscle is more metabolically active than fat. So in other words, more calories will be expended okay, to maintain a kilogram of muscle than a kilogram of fat. And I, I saw a demonstration once that illustrated this quite, quite nicely. I'll try to describe it for you here verbally over the telephone. Uh, okay, so here's what happened. This presenter gathered several audience members in front of the group and said, each of you represents a muscle cell. Then he took out several inflated balloons and said, these represent calories. Now, it is the job of you muscle cells to try and balance these calories. And then he threw the balloons at the group of people. And their task was basically to keep the balloons afloat in the air by, by batting them back and forth to one another. Do you get the picture? Mm -hmm. With so many people at the front of the room, they handle all those floating balloons, all those calories, pretty easily, which is exactly the same as would happen with a lot of muscle tissue trying to handle a lot of calories. Then he removed a person from the front of the group. Not so easy to keep those balloons where they're supposed to be anymore. Then he removed another person, then another person, then another person. And then ultimately we have a few people in front running around like madmen trying to keep all these balloons afloat. Soon it became just impossible. So the moral of the story is this. An individual with a good amount of muscle tissue is in a much better position to appropriately handle extra calories. They might need more than theoretically predicted for them. Now, let's look at the other side of the body composition coin. What if the person for whom all this data has been entered into the formula has too much body fat? And I think there are a few people in the world today, Anne, whose objective is to have less body fat. Now, if this person just relied on the computer to, uh, 
to give them their theoretically printed calorie requirement, let me tell you, it will be way more than they actually need. And I'm speaking on this from experience. I have had clients come to me looking to lose weight, thinking they can eat way more calories than they actually can because wherever they got their information, it was only from this theoretical model we've been discussing. So what is the alternative then, Dennis? Um, how do you determine how much your clients can actually eat? And the, the answer is, as it is so often in life, to get right down in the trenches and see what's actually going on in the individual. Not what's theoretically going on, what is actually going on. The best way to do this is obviously with the help of a professional. But my goal here for today is to try and give the listener some strategies for how they can do it themselves. Either way, Anne, it involves doing some self-assessing. And assessing by asking yourself three questions. And do you want to hear what these questions are? Oh, absolutely. You, you've got me going here. Okay, let's keep going then. Question number one that you have to ask yourself. How much do I weigh? Now, let me tell you how to answer this. Actually, first of all, let me tell you what, what is not the answer to this question. And this is going to be somewhat uh, earth-shattering things for you to hear. Ahead. Nobody in the world weighs 137 pounds. Nobody weighs 193 pounds. What I'm saying you need to do, Ann, is to answer this question by establishing what is your five-pound weight range. And if a client of mine ever said, my goal is to lose five pounds, well, actually, that person wouldn't be a client of mine. That's not what I do. You want to wait? You want to lose five pounds? Don't eat for a day. There you go. You lost five pounds. The human body is always in a state of fluctuation, and uh, we eat food, we gain weight. We exercise for an hour, we lose weight. So what I do is I narrow down human weight classification to five-pound weight ranges. You must determine what yours is. Step two, second question you need to ask is. How do I currently eat? Keep a food log for a week and analyze the caloric intake. Again, it's best to have a professional help you do this, but in this day and age, the age of the World Wide Web, you can do this yourself with a little extra effort. The third question here that you must ask yourself, how physically active am I? Again, we're recording all your physical activity for that week in a logbook. Now, with these three pieces of information, we know how many calories it takes to maintain our current weight given our current amount of physical activity. And these three pieces of knowledge are a glorious thing. Once we've identified these things, we know precisely what they are, we can begin manipulating them in the way that we desire. Say the person looks at their current weight range and is unsatisfied. They'd like to have less body fat. Now, they have concrete numbers in, representative of what is actually going on in their own body that indicate the amount of calories they've been eating, the amount of physical activity they've been doing. It's insufficient to achieve their goal. Now they have three options. Reduce the calories, increase the activity, or my personal favorite, the best of all, do both. <laughs> I kind of figured you'd have that as your, your personal favorite. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Dennis, I like the three steps. Let's start with step one and go just a little bit deeper. 
You're saying that we need a range that we fall into. Say it's 193 to 198 pounds. That's our five-pound range. Are you then saying, I need a range I want to get to from where I currently am at? So let's say my current weight is between 193 and 198. I want to get to 166 to 177, and that would be my goal. How would I best determine my five-pound range? Great question. There are a number of things that I, I want to say about that. First of all, Anne, I, I think it largely depends on where the individual feels comfortable. Some people just say, uh, you know what, I feel better if I was 20 pounds lighter. I say, where'd you get that number? They say, I don't know, I just feel like that's like where I would want to be. I'd feel the best there. You know, and uh, I put a lot of stock in that. Even, even as a professional, I put a lot of stock in that. Um, some other ways, though, maybe some, some more technical ways, would be to look at things like the body mass index, a term that perhaps some of the listeners have heard, also called the BMI. Now, this is found by dividing your weight in kilograms by your height in meters squared. They say that a good BMI is around 25. So after you do the math, if you're at 25, then you're at a good weight for your height. Uh, more than that means you're overweight. So a person could set their goal at as uh, whatever weight will make their BMI 25. The problem, again, though, with this is that it does not consider body composition. So the third thing I will suggest, and this, and, and this one here, there's absolutely... Unfortunately, no good way to do without visiting a professional. And, and, and even then, unfortunately, you need to find a really good professional who knows what he's doing. Uh, but that would be to get an assessment done of your body fat level. Okay. So now, on to your step two. Keeping a caloric intake log. What is the best way to do this? Are there current websites or places that can help us easily, you know, keep this food log that you talked about? Absolutely there are, Anne. Uh, again, I'll reiterate, I, I think the absolute best way to do it is to hire a professional. I am a fan of the human touch, Anne, rather than just always letting machines think for us. But I will say there are some good websites that can help you do this if getting a pro is just not an option for you. And uh, in an effort to be as helpful as possible to the listeners, I'll name two. I'll also say that I have no, in no way am I uh, affiliated with these websites. I just think they're very good resources that we could all use. Number one, calorieking.com is a good way to get a good assessment of how many calories are in pretty much any food that you can think of. And another good one, Anne, is called sparkpeople.com, which is a little bit more uh, perhaps in depth than Calorie King, you can set up your own profile, log your your uh, your daily food intake, and they give you some great analysis of that. So those are two good resources, and uh, for helping you track your food. Okay, that that certainly is a help. And I think um, you've told me before that also people can invest for very little money on scales. Is that yeah. another way? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That they, they can take their food and put it on a scale and kind of get some idea of weight and and uh, there's a way to measure calories from that too. Is that not and correct? People, well, well, the bottom line, Anne, is that uh, and I'll say this again as a professional who often gets food records submitted to me and they're lacking information, lacking detail. The information you get back is only as good as the information that you put in. So, if you know how much 
the food you're eating actually weighs, you get a much better indication of the amount of calories in it, obviously. And this intimidates people sometimes, Anne, but what I always say is that after a while of measuring things, you don't even need to measure anymore because you're learning as you go. And uh, yes, it's a little bit of work at the beginning, but think of it as an investment, an investment in knowledge. And when all is said and done, you'll be much better off for it. Yeah, investment in knowledge helps us certainly be fitter and healthier. Absolutely. Okay, now for step three, Dennis. What specifically are we looking to record for our physical activity? Do we record our heart rate, how long we exercised, what activity we actually did, how hard we actually did that physical activity? I mean, you know, was my heart rate really pumping or was it an activity that wasn't that strenuous? And what about cardio versus weightlifting activities? Do they count the same? Um, give us some guidelines and specifics for accurately recording our physical activity. Oh, and also, is there a website that can help us track this or a way that we can easily um, you know, figure all this out? The one I just mentioned, and to answer your last question first, Spark People does actually have a component where they track your physical activity as well. So, so that will be, be my answer to the last part of your question. The first part of your question, then, I have to tell you, you answered many of the things in, in your question. You're good at this, Anne. <laughs> a lot of the things you mentioned are the things that you should be recording. And I'm going to say I really am a stickler for recording, And Like I mentioned with the food, the more you record about your exercise, the better. You should see my personal exercise blog, and I record so much it's not even funny. Uh, some of the things I would suggest recording when you exercise, time of day, the date and the time, how long you were exercising, as you said, absolutely, the type of exercise that you did. And the one thing that you even mentioned, Ann, but I want to hit it again here because it's just so important, the thing you have to record, most importantly above all others, is how hard am I working? Now, that's, that's another question. We need an answer for that. And the way in which you answer the question, how hard am I working, and is to invest in a heart rate monitor. I'm a huge, huge fan of doing this because, again, it provides a metric that can tangibly tell us, okay, was that uh, you know a good, hard, solid workout? Or even though I put in my time, did my hour in the gym, was I just going through the motions? If you invest in a heart rate monitor, uh, a fairly cheap device, I think you can get them for 50 or 60 bucks, now you have a tangible, quantifiable way to determine how hard did I work during that workout. And let's call a, a spade a spade here, Ann. The harder you work, the better the results you'll have. Mm, that certainly makes sense. Okay, Dennis, just one more question. As it relates to how much should I eat, what do you recommend as a registered dietitian? What percent of fat, for example, protein and carbs per meal per day should we try and eat? Again, a great question, Ann. And let's go about answering this question one piece at a time. Let's begin with carbohydrates, an often much maligned nutrient. Maybe not so much these days as it was back in the craze of the Atkins diet, but still certainly people hear carbs, and, and there are still some people that have a bad association with carbs. Let me tell you, Ann, this is completely unfounded. We need to eat more carbohydrates than anything else. Let me give you a number. 
around that range, so a little bit less, a little bit more. Again, I'm a fan of ranges. But say 55% of the calories we eat should come from carbohydrates. They are by far and away our most important energy source. Now, move on. Protein. How much protein do we need need to eat? Here's a good way to determine how much protein an individual needs, and and we can apply this to ourselves just by doing some simple mathematics. I'll give you some numbers. If you're an inactive person, don't do any physical activity. God forbid no listener is like that. But if you are, the experts tell us that we need 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of our body weight. That's at the very low end of the scale. The absolute upper end of the scale, say you're very, very active, you're engaged in all kinds of great physical activity like weight training and, and, um, and doing big things like that, you're athletic, that type of person, Anne, would need 2, 2.0 grams of protein per kilogram of their body weight per day. So now we have a range 0.8 to 2.0, and where you fall on that scale depends largely on how much physical activity you're doing. The more activity, the higher the amount of protein that you're going to need. When you do that mathematics and find out how many grams of protein you need per day, I'm going to venture to bet that it will wind up somewhere in the range of 15 to 20% maybe of your total caloric intake. That's how much protein we need in. So if we do the math here, I said 55% is carbs. I said uh, 20%, give or take, is protein. Now we're at... Uh, 75% and if my arithmetic is correct, I'm trying to do it off the top of my head, I think I am. Um, now we're left with about 25%, which is devoted to fat. I always look at fat last because it really should be what's left over after we've taken care of how many carbohydrates and how many grams of protein that we need. And the reason for this, Anne, is because largely we get enough fat. You, you'll never go into a supermarket and see a label on a product saying a good source of fat. We get enough fat in our diet, and if we just kind of take care of the first two things first, again, carbs, 55%, protein between 15 and 20%, then the rest of our diet will come from fat, and that would be the absolute best ratio of those three nutrients to maximize health and performance. And Wow. I, that's great. It really helps us a lot today. At least it does for me, and hopefully for a lot of the listeners here, got a really good education on some basic things that, that we need in our everyday life to be fitter and, and healthier. Dennis, we appreciate you spending your time and your expertise with us today. You certainly provided us with some great insights to really think about. For those of you who might be interested in learning more about Dennis, he has a program called The Fitness Phone. The Fitness Phone is a revolutionary way to consistently access the world's leading health and fitness experts. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home. Feel free to review his website by going to www.thefitnessphone.com. That's thefitnessphone.com. My hope for our time together is that you've got value and an idea or two that will help you be even more successful, personally and professionally. You may be wondering, what should you do next? Well, on my website, www.accountabilitycoach.com, you have access to at least 11 free personal and professional development resources you can take advantage of right now. Review the 30-day self-study course 
so you can discover for yourself how to focus on your highest payoff activities that produce the biggest results in the shortest amount of time so that you can experience that feeling of true and total success and have a fantastic quality of life. This program is effective and powerful at improving every area in your life in 30 days time. This program will change bad habits into habits that will lead you to achieving all your personal and business goals. Aim for what you want each and every day. Until next time, make it a great day today and every day. Thanks for listening.